Beer Mile Nation, we have a first ever on today's episode. We have a live studio audience. The boys are really thirsty. Back here. <laughs> Do you hear that? Do you hear that? We got a live audience here in Colorado, slaying some beers, watching on as we talk to, well, as I talk to, this is your co-host Chris, Adam, at a wedding today, ditching his duties, not doing any work, you know, the usual, on PTO all the time. Uh, This guy doesn't do anything, to be honest. So here I am having a conversation with Woody Kincaid today. This guy's got big cojones, made the Olympic team in two different events, won the 10K, got third in the 5K. And so he will be representing Team USA in Tokyo here in about four weeks time in both the 10K and 5K. This is a great conversation. We touch on pretty much everything, his training leading into this, what his expectations are for the Olympics, how he's going to celebrate the Olympic medals when he wins those. Uh, Touch on the Shelby situation a little bit as well and a whole lot more just before we get into that. First off, let me just touch on this beer. We got the Exile Brewing Company, Ruthie Beer, and we always talk about the graphic designers on this podcast and whether they should be compensated at the minimum wage or above the minimum wage. And I mean, look at this. Look at this. For those of you watching on YouTube, and make sure make sure if you're listening to the audio-only version uh, on the podcast platform of choice that you do tune into YouTube because we have a video version as well. Link in the description. This lady, look at... I mean... This is a talent. Uh, so if you look at the Ruthie can here, she's pouring some beers onto a couple glasses on her uh, bosom. Bosom, Yeah. I mean, that's the nice way to say it. Thank you to the studio audience for chirping in on that one. Uh, absolutely incredible. Hopefully this isn't an intern and this is a, a shareholder in Exile Brewing Company because this this can, this beer is certainly getting bought more than any other beer solely because of the graphic design. And it tastes pretty good as well. Full review on that in the outro. First, support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Look, guys, you got to start taking care of your family jewels. It's You can't leave that thing <laughs> disgusting down there. Uh, the studio audience is demonstrating the issues that occur when you don't take care of of your nether regions, your down under and ladies as well. You know, if you have a significant other in your life um, or guys, if, if your partner could use a little help in that area, we got you covered. We have an exclusive deal with Manscaped. You get 20% off your entire order plus free shipping worldwide. If you use our code beer mile, that's beer mile, all uppercase, no spaces. Use that at checkout 20% plus free shipping worldwide. Take care of those family jewels. Even if you're a single guy, it just boosts the confidence. It's just the right thing to do. They have everything. The lawnmower 4.0 launched recently. It's the best electric razor in the game. Quit using your face trimmer on your pubes. It's absolutely disgusting. You don't want pubes at your mouth. <laughs> the lawnmower 4.0 is the best engineered electric razor ever. And also, ladies especially, guys as well, the Performance Package 4.0. It's the perfect gift for anyone in your life. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0, as well as some aftershave, as well as boxers. The whole package is exactly what you need. Use code BEERMILE, all uppercase, no spaces, for 20% off plus free shipping worldwide. And you will not be disappointed. This is an exclusive offer. Thanks to the Beer Mile Podcast. And just know by using this code, you're also supporting us here at the Beer Mile Podcast. Last thing I'll plug as those behind me are slaying beers. Again, YouTube, if you want to see some boys slay some beers. Last thing I'll plug here. We launched a couple new uh, 
dope shirts on our website. We are accepting any graphic designer that wants to send us a design to create some swag on beermile.com. And we will profit share with any graphic designer out there. We'll handle everything, shipping, inventory, you name it. We do it all here at beermile.com. If you're a graphic designer out there and you have a cool idea for a shirt, for a hat, for anything, Send us a send us a design, send us an image file. We'll make it happen and we'll profit share with you as well. So most recently, we're working with App Prodigy Runs on Instagram. Sent over an awesome rendition of the Budweiser logo tailored specifically to us. He's got all the taglines on there. And there you have it. Free ABV. He's got it all. So check out beermile.com. Hit on the shop button and you will find all the latest swag, including those submitted by our graphic designers out there in the wild. And they're going to get the profits as well. So you're helping grow small business. I mean, it's the right thing to do. All right. That's enough of an intro here. Let's get into this conversation with Woody Kincaid of the Bowerman Track Club. Cheers, Woody. Cheers. Thanks for being on the Beer Mile podcast, especially considering uh, you're only a week off of the Olympic trials, a big double making the Olympic team in both the 5K and 10K. I know you're a very important man right now. And honestly, I'm surprised that I can even see you in the camera because your cojones are just so big right now after after doing the double. Um, That's got to be exciting. So thank you for joining the Beer Mile podcast. Thank you for having me. Nice intro. I like it. So how... Now, now that you're about a week after the uh, 5K at the Olympic trials, uh, how are you feeling at this point? Does it feel real? Um, are you, yeah, wh- wh- where's your head at currently? Does it still kind of feel like a little bit of a fantasy or have you come to the realization and coming down a little bit from it? Um, uh, it's still, still a fantasy. <laughs> still a fantasy. I, if, cause we just went right back, right back up to Park City and, uh, it, right back into training. It feels like nothing changed at all, actually. But uh, I did feel it did start to hit me how big the Olympics is when Central, of course, Central was talking about mm-hmm. how many people watch the Olympics. And I was like, whoa, that's, uh, you know, this isn't Jeff Comey anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be 3.2 billion people. Exactly. Um, so, Tra- you said going right back to training in Park City. What does this week look like for you after the double? Are you taking just a string of easy days, kind of getting your legs back underneath you? Or are you hitting it pretty hard considering the the Olympics are only a few weeks out? It's kind of like a, this week is kind of we're just floating. We just kind of flushing the legs. But I would on Tuesday we're gonna do, we're gonna have a hard session, no doubt. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And, and so what probably like two ish, pretty tough weeks here is my guess. And then maybe a, another little bit of a taper after that, I guess. Wh- when do you head out to the, uh, Olympics themselves? Uh, I leave on the, we all leave everyone that's running the 10 and the five central's not leaving for a couple of days later, but we leave on the 25th for Tokyo. And it's really, we like, if you're in one event, you only get to be there for like two days before the event and then two days after or something similar to that. We're in both. So we get to stay longer. Um, Grant and I, but we leave for actually Hawaii on the 18th. So okay. we're going to spend a week in Hawaii first and then uh, go from Hawaii to Tokyo. It's just like a kind of like a middle ground between here. So we don't have a long flight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I was curious in the 
So the Olympic trials is obviously not, it's not easy to make the Olympic team. So from a training <laughs> perspective, are you uh, kind of doing like a full taper and peaking for the Olympic trials? Because you know that you have to bring the A game that day in order to actually make the Olympic team. And then now you're kind of doing like a, yeah, an abbreviated uh, recovery slash then like a, w- a couple weeks hard and then getting bit into the Olympics. How, how does Jerry phase that training for you? Or, or was the, I guess, was the uh, ex- expectation all along that you were going to make the Olympic team in one of them? So it was kind of like eyes on the medals Olympics down the road. No, I don't think anybody, I mean, Jerry does definitely peak us for the Olympics, but I don't think Jerry was like, you're going to make the team. I, like everyone's going to make it. Uh, it's incredibly hard to do that. So we did mm-hmm. kind of taper a little bit, um, definitely in between the 10 and the five, I like was just going for 35 minute runs, um, when I wasn't racing. Um, so I've already kind of been tapering, um, accidentally with extremely hard efforts in between that. So I don't know how that's going to feel because I'm not really used to that, but, um, I feel fine right now. And I imagine my fitness will just carry over for the next month. Absolutely. And, and maybe even at least, I don't know, in my experience, sometimes running, I found when you're training so hard for such a period of time, sometimes you do need more of a taper than just a week or two. And sometimes you can have some of your best performances after some downtime. So, you know, maybe, maybe you do have a, an extra added peak at the Olympics that you didn't have at the Olympic trials. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's always, it's always hard to guess what the body's going to feel. You never really know for sure. That's just it, man. It's like, if I feel good, I feel bad. Like it's, I don't know doesn't really matter anymore. Like as long as I put myself in the race and give myself a shot, I think uh, I'll, I'll do fine. I'll do well. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, you mentioned Olympics, Olympic team, very hard to make going into the trials. Where would you say that your confidence level was at? I mean, between you and Grant and Lopez, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, expected at least one of you, maybe a couple of you to make, uh, you know, e- either team 10 K or, and or five K. So where would you say your confidence level was at, uh, going in based on the buildup this season? It was uh, a strange place to be because it was the, like, it was the best, uh, few years of training I've ever had. So I was in the best shape I've ever been. I still am. And so my confidence was high in the sense where I've had better preparation than ever before. But uh, also, um, I was incredibly nervous because I was just so prepared and ready to do it. It's like, I, I should make this team. Like, there's no right. way that I don't make this team if I just put myself in the race and I just, like, keep my head um, in the race because I'm in shape to do it. So uh, I wouldn't say it was like kind of a it was pressure. You know, there was a lot of mm-hmm. pressure in this race, but I, I was more um, I was in a different position than I've ever been. In, in the sense where I was like, I'm not just going to have to hang on. Like I'm going to be able to have tactics. I'm going to be able to think about what I'm going to, what I'm doing in the race rather than just right. grinding full time. Yeah. How, how, was it hard? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming that it, it was difficult, especially with the pandemic, you're not racing a ton, but you ran the, the really fast 5k, the Bowerman time trial, essentially in Oregon, 1258 and looked really good doing that. I guess from that Moving though from that to like a championship style of racing where you have to close hard, kind of a little bit different tools that you need to have in the toolbox there. Between that fast 5K time trial and the Olympic trials, there weren't a ton of races uh, in general. So, uh, you know, I guess from a spectator standpoint, you know, it, w- it really was up in the air on like I, I, I didn't know. Going in, honestly, I would I would have never said like I'm 100% confident that Woody's going to make it just because I would I would guess I wouldn't have said that really about anybody because nobody was racing enough to to know one way or the other. So uh, f- after that 12:58, I guess 
talk a little bit about maybe your mindset, how that race shifted it. And then between that race and the Olympic trials, maybe how training shifted or, you know, where you're, where you focused on sharpening, uh, ahead of the trials, you know, knowing maybe what the the tactics were going to be, or the strategy was going to be kind of in that specific race. Right. Okay. So let's start with the 1258 and, um, I personally had felt in 2019, I was going into the well every single workout. Like I was throwing up after every workout. I was laying down. I was racing. Like every yeah. workout. <laughs> uh, I was coming off of, like I, I had hernia surgery um, in okay. September um, earlier that year. So I didn't have a big fall base at all. Um, yeah. So I was just, I would, and Mo and Lopez, this is 2019, were on another level. So I was getting broken by them in every single workout. Um, I get 30 USAs that year. And in 1258, I finally kind of have, uh, I mean, a great race. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, um, after, after 2019, uh, I was just like, I, I just ran 1258 on kind of fake fitness. Like, you know, I didn't have a fall training. I hadn't had years of training before that. All I had was one great season of extremely hard workouts and I ran 12.58. So all I have to do is kind of stay within myself and keep going um, and just get a little bit better each workout and just stay with Mo and Lopez. And eventually they're not going to drop me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was what happened in 2020 when COVID hit. Um, we went up to camp together the whole team. And my goal was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and like set the world on fire this year. Like there's too yeah. much going on. Um, I, I just want to stay healthy and prepare for whenever the Olympics, uh, comes. So I stayed really patient. I think a couple guys actually on our own team did not stay patient. They like, <laughs> okay. Yep. They're like, yep. Olympics didn't happen. So we're going to make the Olympics practice. And I, um, I kind of took my days, like if I didn't feel like if I had something in my foot going on or something, I would be like, I'm not, I'm not gonna do this workout. Okay. I, I wouldn't yep. suggest that for everybody, but like, that's, that's kind of how I went about 2020 because I knew I haven't really had that shot yet. Like these guys had, they were ready to, um, really risk it all. Come, come this year, I stayed healthy all through 2020. Um, I felt like I'd been, I'd been through everything. I, I was, I felt like there was nothing that, um, since I now I have this base and I still have my speed there, there was a lot of confidence. Like there's, what can these guys really do to me now? Um, I'm, I'm really ready to make this team. Like I should have made teams years ago. Yeah. <laughs> now, yep. and now I finally have a chance to, uh, be in shape and it's the right time. Like everything's working, you know, it's coming together at the right time. And, uh, I just, yeah, I was ready for, for the trials. That's yeah, that's excellent to hear. It, it, it is, it is so crazy spectating track because, and, and we, we've talked about this on a couple other podcasts and with other guests as well as you never know going into the trials, you always have some people that kind of come out of nowhere that like all year, maybe they're not racing well, or they're just up and comers collegiates and they crush it at the trials. And you have some people who are crushing it in January, February, March, and then maybe kind of peter off and don't do well at the trials. And then you have some people who just crush it all year. So it's kind of all over the board. And so the patience thing is definitely, uh, that it, it makes it, like going into the trials. It's like, people might not be talking about you as much, but you got to know yourself and know what you're going to, 
uh, perform best, what strategy you're going to perform best with. So that's, that's, that's interesting to hear. And, and I know you've had, like most runners, several injuries in the past as well. And so how long have you been running, I guess, kind of, you know, injury free at this point, consistent training? All the way from September of 2018 until now, I haven't really had a major injury at all. I've had maybe taken and taken like five days off for something. Okay. Um, but other than that, I was just getting up and, and going for a run every day. That hadn't happened since I was like 19, man. Like, <laughs> ever since I was 21, like there was always like with one year up year and then next year I'd get hurt. And for the last three years, I just haven't been getting hurt. And um, that that's really the difference. That's yeah. It's uh, do you think that that's mostly, I guess, what would you mostly attribute that to? Do you think it's like, like the patience, the, you know, that, that piece of it, I mean, is it strength training? Is it lower my, like, is it mostly just the kind of the mental aspect of understanding where your limits are and knowing when to back off? Do you think that's the biggest part? I think, um, in 2018, I had to, uh, 2019, I had to, my hand was forced, um, my, my hand was forced in that I, my contract was coming up. My, my dad had just uh, been diagnosed with, with cancer. I'm sorry to bring this right. up on the video. No, bar. no, I, I was actually going to bring this up at some point later on. And yeah, that was <laughs> just like heartbreaking to hear. So yeah, really sorry to hear that. It's, a, it's okay. But it's years ago now. But um, so I felt like this was a year that I really wanted to do something. And I mm -hmm. wasn't really in shape to do it. So I really, my hand was forced where I, I would say in 2019, I wasn't patient and I was working out uh, beyond my fitness. Um, but I was 26 and sometimes you just don't get hurt when you're, <laughs> when you're at the peak fitness of your, of your whole career, you know? Um, and so when I got that year of base of working out outside myself, I was able to, um, no longer have to work outside myself and still do more mileage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of it. I wouldn't say there was, I, I think there's a lot of luck that comes that's, that's involved where of course in 2019, I think it's possible that I, I, I got injured and that was the end of my career. Um, but I just, I didn't like, I didn't get injured. There were a couple of times that my hamstring like kind of hurts. Like I just took a couple of days and it got better. Um, you know, a couple of times my foot kind of hurt and I just kind of ran through it and it, I got lucky. It didn't break, you know, yeah. like, yep. I think there, there's a big part of, running outside yourself when your your hands force like that, that comes down to a little bit of luck. And then the consistency um, of 2020 and 2021 really was, was made the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And you kind of, you mentioned the, you know, a, a contract being up for renewal, you know, running is, you know, it's a passion. It's also a, your profession. It's your job as well. Um, one thing we like to talk to our guests about a little bit is as much as they're willing to share on the, uh, you know, career side of things, like the business side of things, you know, how much does that, I don't know, stress, stress you out? How much do you think about that? Like uh, from, from my perspective, you know, not obviously not being a pro runner, not being on the inside there, just knowing that the, the way that a professional runner is compensated is very performance-based, success-based. And so do you, is that stressful? Like, is, I'm sure it is to some extent, but you know, how, how would you describe that, uh, kind of that mentality or that mindset around that? And how much does that, you know, uh, affect you on a, a, over the course of your career? And, and how much do you think about that? The business side of running. 
Yeah, the um, business side of running, knowing knowing that you know if you if you don't compete for a couple of years, if you're injured, you might get dropped or, you know, the, the, really the goal is to get medals at the Olympics, qualify for the Olympic team. And knowing that that is the goal, that is a, obviously a high bar. You know, there's only three people in the 10 K and three people in the five K that medal and only three people in the U S that qualify. So it's not like, uh, e- probability wise, you know, you might even be better off playing the lottery in some cases. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's gotta be <laughs> stressful to some extent. Um, and, and not saying, not saying that we should be bashing on any sponsors at all, but I, I'm just curious how much that does affect your, you know, your mentality, if it does on a, on a day-to-day basis or, you know, yearly basis is that if that's something you think about. Definitely. I think, uh, I perform well when I think the stakes are higher. Um, some people perform best when they're like within themselves and like comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think I perform best when, not when I'm comfortable, but when um, I feel like this is the moment, like I need to really put all my energy into this. Um, so I, I thrive in a situation where it's like only three people make it um, because that's when I feel like, okay, I have to make it right now. When right. they're just like, okay, 10 people advance. Um, I, <laughs> have a harder time going in, um, going into the well. So how do I feel about it? I think I, I think it benefits me in some ways when I'm healthy, but it's, um, I don't know a way around it. I wish more people could do the sport, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people, um, are journeyman runners, I would say where they, they kind of go from, uh, place to place or team to team and they never quite make the grade and they never make a team. But um, the bottom line is people are only watching the sport at worlds. They're only watching it in the Olympics. So how are we going to get as many people as we can into those spots? Uh, right. <laughs> that's, that's where money is being made. So I, I don't think that any sponsorship controls that they right. don't control right. that only three people get to go. Um, well, I mean, like they do to a certain extent, but that's just the way it's always been. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't blame any sponsor for wanting to get their representation the most in those events. And if, if you're good at that, then that's, that's going to help you. It's going to help you stay in the game. That's, for sure. uh, that's it. Yeah, for sure. So I guess going back to the Olympic trials, did you think that you were more likely to make it in the 10K or the 5K? Go Okay, so into the trials, I thought I was probably going to have a better chance competing in the 10. Okay. Uh, just because I, I have a big engine. Um, I've got a good kick. I don't need an insane kick to win the 10K necessarily. But um, in the 5K, I think on an international level, I think I probably have a better chance just because uh, it's a little more random. <laughs> yeah, so right, it, right. It, uh, it's a little more um, contingent on how people feel that day. It's just a harder, um, harder event to to really predict. Um, I don't think the 10K is really as predictable as people are saying it's going to be. I've said this on other podcasts. I think um, the heat and the the general unsureness of everybody of where every how everybody's running so fast. You know, is it the mm-hmm. shoes? Are people doping? Are, are like our <laughs> I mean, like no one knows of can explain the, the yep. faster times, right? So um, nobody's sure of anything. And I think that that, un, that unsureness is going to cause a little more 
um, randomness in the event. Now, I don't know the future, but uh, I have to believe that. I So, yeah, yeah I, I think... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just going to... I completely agree. It's, uh, it's one of the common talk tracks in track and field that uh, honestly annoys the hell out of me of like people trying to justify times and think that they know, oh, it's the shoes. Oh, it's the whatever. It's the COVID year. So people are just training. I, I mean, that, I think that's just like old news at this point. I'm kind of sick of hearing it either way. It's like yeah. people are freaking fast. They're tough. Uh, you know, maybe they're just smarter at training over the years and like you've built, a, I don't know. I, I think it's such a, such a, uh, a disservice to the athletes to, to continue to talk about, uh, or to debate like those specific things and not just say, Hey, these guys are freaking beasts. You know, if, if you're, if you're the best in the U S who cares, like who cares what you can attribute it to you're the best. So, um, yeah, I, I go, I'm curious after the 10 K then. So you won the 10 K did that relieve a bunch of pressure, like going into the 5k, at least from me watching, then this is literally just like the clip, couple clips where they show you at the start of the 5k on, on NBC, you know, right before the gun goes off, you look like you're just chilling. Like when the gun goes off, it honestly looked like you kind of like, you know, you didn't like blast off the line. You're kind of like, you know, I don't know. You got some swag. You're kind of like taking your time, whatever. Do you think that going into the 5k, I guess talk about that a little bit. So you've, you've won the 10 K you're going into the five K are, are you now in your mind? Are you still like, Hey, I still, I want to make this team in the five K like kind of putting some pressure there to make the team. Or at that point, were you more so relaxed and saying, Hey, I already made a team. This is just gravy. Like whatever happens happens. How, how what was your mind looking like going into that? Um, I, I definitely like after the 10, I was elated for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was just an emotional journey, uh, in itself. And then uh, when I really started to think about the 5K and I started to realize, oh my God, I'm actually going to the Olympics. I thought, uh, what's my best chance in the Olympics? Like, I actually have to start thinking about this now. Right. Um, and I thought I should make this 5K team. I, I can do, I can medal in the 5K if I, if it like under a certain situation, like I need to make this team. I'm clearly in shape to do it. Grant's right there with me. Like we can both make this team. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I, I, I started thinking, I honestly was not thinking about the 5k at all before the 10. Okay. Um, yep. I was just thinking about the 10. And then when I made the team, I realized, wow, we're in insane shape. We need to like, you only get like one opportunity, this opportunity to do this and we have to do it. Like we have to. And I really wanted to race Shalimo and, and beat him too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I didn't beat him. <laughs> so, you know, you, did, you didn't beat, you didn't beat him. Uh, you know, that was his focus event. So, you know, f fair enough. Uh, the Olympics are, I guess what really matters, you know, you got the top three in the 5k. That's, what's really important. So, uh, I mean, now, now that you brought up Chilimo, maybe talk about that a little bit. I mean, is there any sort of beef there or it seems like you guys, I mean, you guys are just out there competing. Paul himself, you know, he's a competitor, but seems, seems like he's, you know, a, a genuine dude after, after the race, obviously he's out for blood during the race, but, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe talk about that a little bit. Do you, what, what do you think of the, the Chalimo fly out to lane four or five at the end of the race? Well, I mean, it's tough to say, man, cause it's, you have to ask yourself, like, if you were in that situation, would you do the same thing? And, and the answer is probably yes. Mm -hmm. Um, is it, would you be DQ'd if this were the Olympics? Yes. He would have been DQ'd. Like, yeah. I yep. think, um, but as his, his best, <laughs> he actually played it right. And he got very lucky in some sense where 
um, he made this tactical move, a risky tactical move. Mm -hmm. And uh, I happened to get, he, uh, Grant happened to get second, I happened to get third. Now, like if in this different situation where a Cooper tier is not in lane one, doesn't have a good argument and I get fourth, then I'm probably going to DQ him to, to move up. Um, but in this situation, he got very lucky in the sense where he both won the race and the two people, the two best runners advanced. Um, yeah. Cause ultimately you want the best team in Tokyo, right? Exactly. So, so <laughs> if uh, I personally would say I'm a better runner than Paul Shalimo. So, <laughs> so yeah, I love uh, that. So, so, uh, but like, I mean, he's a silver medalist, but I think that was time. That was time to go. But you know, if, if it's a different situation, maybe he's DQ'd as it worked out, he played it perfectly. And I think that, I think I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. Do you, how are your legs feeling in that 5k? Do you think that the 10k, were you still feeling that a little bit going into that race or were you feeling, you know, fr fresh enough that you were, would say that you were hundred percent going in? Um, I did not feel good. No, I felt pretty bad. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> I felt very bad actually. And then, uh, in the prelim, uh, we, we had a really tough prelim heat. It was, yeah, not you did. Race. it was not an easy race to advance. Um, so we already had both a, a 155 last 800 in that prelim. It was not a cakewalk where um, I would honestly, uh, you know, say the second heat had a, a huge advantage, but it didn't really matter because the three best runners ended up advancing. Right. Yeah. Right. Cooper's uh, good, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's always tough to get fourth in whatever race, you know, Cooper's been on the beer mile podcast before and, you know, tough to see him get fourth. Uh, it's tough to see anyone get fourth, you know, Craig, Craig Ingalls in the 1500 as well, you know, tough to see him get fourth. Unfortunately, you know, three spots or three spots, you know, someone, someone's going to get fourth, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm really excited for the team that we have going in. And I mean, you kind of already answered this. I, I was actually curious, you know, where, where are you going to for sure compete in both you and Grant both uh, compete in both the 10 K and the five K. And it sounds like, uh, that's, that's a, for sure at this point. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it would make, I mean, we have, there are people that blow up in the 10 and they come back in the five and they do well. There's exactly, it's, you can't, you can't predict an event. So if you get more opportunities, you got to take them. Oh, uh, absolutely. Anybody, yeah, it's, a, it's a probability game. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And, yeah. and you can say you're tired, right? But I've had races. I run well when I'm tired. Um, that race I ran 1258. I felt awful that's the worst i've ever, <laughs> ever i remember you saying that pr so, yeah. so it's like you know well you're gonna be tired and it's um you know i have people dm me saying let cooper run and i'm like don't you want the best team in the united states like you don't you want the best runners there and uh yeah. i even honestly it as much as uh it, <laughs> i don't want to say it, i would want chalimo on the team like chalimo's mm -hmm. Shalimo, Grant, and I, I think, uh, we're the best runners, at least at that moment. Um, and so when people ask us to drop out of the race, I'm like, you want the best runners for the USA, not just people you like, right? Exactly. That's how I feel. It doesn't, no, that's just yeah. me. I agree. And that, that's exactly like, that's exactly what I say. Like the fourth place, it's, it's, you know, heartbreaking, obviously. And like, I would love to see Cooper run in the Olympics, but Cooper's also super young. You know, he's, you, you and Paul and Grant are, 
you know, better metal contenders than he is at this point in his running career. He, with four more years of, or I guess three more years in this, in this case, uh, of him building base and everything, he, he'll be a much better metal contender at that point. But, you know, absolutely. I think the, the right people went in this case. Um, and, and that actually leads me into one thing I wanted to ask about in the 10 K was Lopez, uh, not, you know, dropping out in the middle of the race, I guess, how's, how's he doing in general? What, what, uh, what did he pull up with? And it was, it was definitely tough to see him not be a part of the team as well. Cause obviously with his experience and, uh, consistency over these years, he's another great metal contender as well, coming from Bowerman track club. Right. And Lopez, man, if the Olympics were held last year, Lopez is, I know he was on a rail, he was on an absolute tear last year. Air. Yeah. So I, and he's working out with, with Mo and they're working out outside their mind. Um, just yeah. the two of them and Grant. So I, it, it's a timing thing. It sucks. Like we've all been in that situation where the timing wasn't right and we were fit at the wrong time and it just didn't come together at the right time. Lopez has been, uh, he's been blessed with a, a crazy long career. So I don't think Lopez is bitter or mad. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's disappointed yeah. that he didn't make an Olympic team, but the crazy thing about the guy is I have no doubt that he'll be back like in next year. He's like 36. Yeah. He's still, he's still going to make teams. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he makes pairs. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding. He'll be 40. And <laughs> yeah, he just has, he just recovers it. Like it's, it's crazy. Lopez is a freak. He's a freak. He, absolutely. And, and we were seeing that more and more where athletes are older and still crushing it. I mean, Lagat was a great example of that. Sarah Hall. Uh, I mean, you can count you endless people that are still crushing it in their late thirties, even early forties, you know, Meb too. So, uh, absolutely still, still potential for him to do, to continue to keep that streak going. Yeah. And I mean, Lopez is, uh, one of the best things about having Lopez on the team is he will, um, guarantee to hit a split and, or maybe run it faster. Yeah. Um, so this guy, this guy's still ready. He's still got it. He's yeah. not just being on. <laughs> yep. Yep. So now going into the Olympics, uh, you have other Bowerman folks in the Olympics as well, not from the U.S. I was curious what the dynamic is there going into like a 10K or 5K race. You got Mark Scott, you've got Mo Ahmed. Like how is there any sort of Bowerman track club team strategy that goes into that? Or for the most part, is it very like an individualized strategy for the most part, you know, trying to each person's obviously there to get their own medal. Um, you know, I was curious kind of how that dynamic works between, you know, Bowerman Track Club versus Team USA versus other uh, nationalities, like how, how does that all play into it? Yeah. So you're wondering like, do we have race strategies? Yeah. Like are, are you sitting down with those guys or talking to about the race with those guys and, or is Jerry saying, you know, this is how like collectively you grant uh, Mark Mo, how, how you guys could work together in the race to, you know, maximize the Bowerman team medals. Uh, you know, how, how much does that race strategy kind of work in a cohesive Bowerman team? Um, in, in, especially in the, in the Olympic setting where then there's the, you guys are also enemies at, at the same time. Honestly, uh, it's a funny story. Uh, a couple of days before the 10 K, like before we left park city, um, well, maybe actually it was a little before that. It was probably more like a week. Uh, I went to Grant. I was like, if it's a slow race, I think we should just take it and um, two miles out or something. Yeah. I was just, we were just talking. I think like, we can just take it two miles out. We're in the best shape and we could trade off. And Grant immediately was like, 
I'm not going to commit to that at all. Like, <laughs> okay. Yep. So, so I would say that the, the, and then I never asked for any tactical advice or any, any help again. I, I think when it comes to making a team or it comes to trying to medal, we all have to run our own race. Right. Um, Jerry doesn't sit us down and say, you're going to run like this. Uh, we don't say we're going to sit down and um, we're going to run like this. Um, we definitely work together in the moment. And, uh, one thing that helps is we know each other very well and we know Mm -hmm. how the other person runs better than anyone else. If this, like if Grant looks bad, I know. Um, but for the most part now we're, we're pretty much out there to run our own race. Like, yeah, there's just too much. There's just like too much to really think about than, than to think about, uh, what your, what your teammates are doing. Um, every single lap, you know? Yeah, that's fair. It's it's very unpredictable in general, and you're just in the flow state in the race, and it's yeah, you can't really you can't really uh, use as much as much mental capacity to think about that. So, w- would you say that I guess 10k and the 5k, from a race strategy standpoint, obviously don't uh, you know spill all the secrets on how you're planning to race here, but you know do you do you foresee like a preference in like you would do better if it were a faster race, if it were a tactical race, if like, how, how do you, you know, foresee yourself being the greatest probability of getting a medal? Do you have a race strategy or a race, uh, play out or layout that, uh, you know, you think it would be best for you? Yeah, I, obviously I put some thought into it. Um, I think if it's a 26, 11 race, if we're going to set a world record, I'm just going to be running as hard as I can the whole time. And there will be, right very little strategy. It will just be how fast can I run and who can I get behind at who's within my range. Um, but if it's not that, and I'm not convinced that it will be, um, if it's closer to even uh, a 26 high or, uh, who knows what kind of fitness I'm in, if it's a little more within my range, uh, I think I need to, be careful about who I lock into per se. Like I need to pick the right person to who I think will be able to uh, stay in this race. Cause I don't do well front running. I don't do well um, in the back. Um, I do, I, I run my best when I'm just kind of like towards the front five or six two or three or four. And uh, hopefully we just run a race where I'm in a position to have a kick. And if I'm there with a kick, I can honestly, I can race with anyone. I really do think that. Right. How much does looking at your competitors, previous races, you know, watching tape, uh, so to speak, how much does that play into, uh, what you do and you know, your job and how you like prep for a race? Is that, is that a big piece of it? Uh, not even a factor in all. How, how do you use that as a tool? Um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm watching their races. But nobody looks the same every time. There are people, exactly. there's certainly patterns, but when you're running so fast, um, when it gets to the point where now you're running 26, 30, uh, for me, the, I, I'm not good enough to have tactics in a 26, 30 race. Right, <laughs> right, right. I, I'm honestly just running as hard as I can the whole time. Um, but I think there's something to be said about knowing who's capable of doing what. I would say right. it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot of faith into it. Like it's the 10 K five K there's probably less tactics. Yeah. Mo would disagree. We've had this discussion. Um, but versus like, let's say the 1500 where Sensuitz is um, always on his game. 
and yeah. wins any type of race. Uh, unfortunately, you just don't have that ability if you're just grinding all the time. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of ta- a lot of being able to be a tactician in this sport is just being talented enough to not have to just think about how you feel and just like be able to run what you want to run. That <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully, I get in a race where I actually have the ability to think about what I'm doing. Fair enough. It, yeah. When I'm not in shape, I'm not able to, or it's just harder. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get that. And I just kind of randomly thought of this again, you know, going back to you talking about the, yeah, the unknowns of the Olympics, like the heat, the tactics, all these different pieces that play into it. So I just wanted to throw in there that, you know, you wearing the sleeves, you're even more adapted to the heat training, uh, getting used to that going into the race. So, um, are are those, those going to make a comeback at the Olympics as well? They're pretty, I'm leaning towards the sleeves at the moment. I can't because you know, people will hold me to it. If they don't see me in the sleeves, they're like, what the hell, man? <laughs> you're lying. You lie about everything. <laughs> That's so, so I can't promise, but I, I am leaning towards it. I like the way the sleeves feel. I like the way they feel and um just getting a little wet before a race. They're really not that hot. Right. Um, right. They they feel kind of good actually, like when the gust of wind comes, you know. So uh I like the way they feel. Probably gonna, gonna rip them out. I like it. I like it a lot. Um okay, so say Let's let's go to the Olympics now. You win a medal in either race or both races, but either one. And let's say even you win a gold medal. What does the celebration uh, for that look like for you after the Olympics? I mean, maybe not in between races. Maybe not if you win the medal in the first race. You know, in between races, obviously you're not gonna do anything too crazy. But what what does that uh, post Olympics uh, medal winning celebration look like for you? Um, <laughs> you're a jubilation, man. I honestly, those are the, my favorite celebrations where if you cross the line, you don't even know what to do with yourself. Right. So I think for the next two weeks, I would just not know what to do with myself. Like I would just, yeah. <laughs> I'd be a child out there. I would just be <laughs> a, a happy child, just a dog, a happy, happy man. And, and so I, honestly, when people plan out their celebrations, like you can tell when they cross yeah. the line, I'm going to call out Clayton Murphy. Like he crosses the line and he like crosses his arms and like sticks his tongue out. Like, yep. You clearly thought about that in the mirror, man. Like I, that's <laughs> not me. I, I honestly just want to see how happy you are. That's all I want. I don't really right. care how, how tough you are. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's just the, that, my opinion. Yeah. And like, thinking about Centro at the 2016 games, I would, I would think that he is embodied exactly what you just said. Like he crossed the line and he's just like, eyes wide open in shock. Like he had, he has no, no idea what just happened. It's like he led yeah. wire to wire and just got a medal. And he's like, what the hell just happened? Am I, where am I at? Am I dreaming? I don't know what's going on. So yeah, I, I, I agree. The pure genuine responses is great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. When you watch a sport, like, which do you want to see? Like, uh, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, Stefan Diggs after that miracle play. Do you watch football? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. St- uh, he, had that miracle player with the Vikings and afterwards yep. he like crossed his hand and just like stood there. I'm like, this is, I want to see the person running up and down the field, like just waving their arms, you know, like that's the person that is the most invested in the sport. That's how I feel. Right. Right. So at the Olympic trials, then after winning, I guess in between, either in between races and or after the 5k, you know, what, what did the celebration look like for that? Did you give yourself a chance to, enjoy and kind of soak in the moment a little bit. Did you, uh, you know, take some celebration days. You said you ran pretty, just took some easy running in between races. And after the 5k, I mean, what, what was their celebration, friends, family going out having some beers? Like what did, what did that look like celebrating your uh, Olympic teams? 
Uh, dude, I I was so happy. I didn't need I didn't need a beer. I I was just like pure adrenaline. Buzzed. Yeah, I was just yeah. buzzed. You know, like I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, uh, and I didn't sleep that night. I slept maybe maybe an hour. Grant was the same way. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I went and had dinner with uh, my friends from UP. Um, I talked to my mom and dad, and they were just so proud. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no, there's no like, okay, let's go crush because I just didn't need it. <laughs> right. Right. I think after, after Tokyo, uh, I probably will because I just haven't had a drink in so long. And mm-hmm. I, I really do like to drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just haven't done it. I haven't really done it for years. So I, after Tokyo, I probably will, um, forget where I am. And honestly, that's what makes the double so much more impressive to me too. I mean, I mean, Chris, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, in the, on the women's side is you come off the 10 K, which is such a grueling race. And you're, you are like in that crazy, just hyper, yeah. Adrenaline state for a couple of days. And then to not have that fatigue you so much that you are able to come back, bounce back and still have the, you know, the racing chops in order to make the, the other team as well. I mean, that's, that's certainly, again, going back to like metal contention and all of that. I mean, that certainly speaks to the, just the overall fitness, your overall ability to, uh, be race savvy, uh, race really well. I mean, that's super impressive because I can only imagine making a first Olympic team. Oh, I can't really imagine it honestly, because I've never really, that's never been a realistic thought in my mind. Um, but you know, making your first Olympic team, it's like, how, how do you come down from that in order to be calm and collected enough to go into the next thing to again, put forth a peak performance in order to like make that next team too. It's just, it's absolutely wild to me to think about. I think it just has to come down to uh, realizing you will never, you have to take the opportunity. Like if the, if it was honestly, if it was just the, the prickly pear again or something like that, right? I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't perform at all, but because it, I just knew I'm not getting another chance of this. It wasn't that hard to refocus. It really yeah. wasn't. Yeah. That makes sense. So Looking beyond, I, I don't know how much you've, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it a little bit, but obviously the Olympics is the focus right now. Like looking beyond the Olympics, where do you see from a career standpoint? Are you, are you thinking about like 2024 games, you know, several more world championships? Uh, how, how do you see just like your career length as well as maybe events as well? Do you see yourself as still a track guy for the next, you know, next Olympic cycle and then marathon? Or have you even thought about the roads and the marathon as part of the, the journey? You know, what, what's your mindset on that? Um, I have started thinking about it more. Um, I always was just so focused on this year and getting it done. Um, but now it's like, well, if I stay healthy and I have a weird stride <laughs> and I'm always, I'm always almost injured. Uh, like <laughs> as my team, I always say something's wrong. And they're like, okay, yeah, Woody, we don't believe you anymore. Something's wrong with <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, if I can stay on the track and I don't think I can, I'm going to try and make it through Paris. Okay. But, uh, ultimately I think I would really enjoy, uh, being a marathoner. Um, I like grinding. I like being by myself. Um, I like, uh, you know, long, long runs. And, uh, I also, don't really, this is kind of strange, but I don't really like to, I get up. It's really hard for me to get up for races. Um, 
Like it's, I put a lot of energy into each race. And so you'll see me sometimes have definitely underperform when I don't have that same, uh, drive <laughs> to, to yeah, get the yeah. best out of myself. And I think in, it's hard for me, uh, to, to get so nervous and to get so amped up for, for races. Um, and I think I would do well if I just had to do that like once every three months. Yeah, that makes sense. So that, yeah, something like a marathon would be just, you're racing a few times a year, maybe a half going into a marathon and then the marathon, maybe two marathons a year. So that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So, so you first, so then, you know, beyond Paris, then potentially even, you know, a couple more Olympic chances, then whether it's, you know, on the track or on the roads, then are you, you're, you're still no, no cap or no, no end to the career in sight at this point. Going to keep, it keep going for a while. With his year, with these years of health, um, and showing that, uh, I still have, I still have room to improve, man. Like this is a, yeah. like, I think I still have potential and, um, no, I don't see, I don't see a reason to quit at the moment. Obviously one major, one major injury, it's over, but, right, right. uh, I definitely, a lot of doors have been opened with these two yeah. races. Yeah, absolutely. And growing up in Colorado, have you throughout your life and I guess even your time, not in Colorado, what, what about trail running? Is that something that you've enjoyed in the past been interested in? I don't know. I mean, I guess there's the difference between, you know, enjoying running on the trails versus competing on the trails, <laughs> kind of completely different things. But, uh, you know, just curious coming from Colorado, if that was something that you kind of grew up with and if that's ever crossed your mind as like a very future thing as well. Um, no, I, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't really have an interest in doing uh, trail running. I love to hike and I love to, um, kind of be outside, but, uh, I kind of like, uh, I'd rather do a marathon. Okay. I, like, I like the idea of, um, having a benchmark versus, versus trail running. There's not really a, a benchmark that I can really point to and be like, I want to do that, you know? Yeah, that's true. Every race is so different. Weather's different. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there is no comparison race to race, you know, and, and really anything. So that makes sense. So, I mean, would you say that you're kind of like a, like a numbers guy then? I don't know. Okay. I'm trying to gauge this a little bit. It's like, it's like, are you, uh, are you saying like, I, I need to be, uh, you know, I, whatever I, I ran this time today. I want to run this time next year. Are you that kind of guy or uh, <laughs> I'm a very, very hard person to understand because I'm very <laughs> fastidious about some things and incredibly uh, disorganized about others. So when it comes to like, um, you know, what, what time I want to hit in a race, I'll actually really want to hit the splits. Uh, but when it comes to how many miles I want to hit in the week, I will just kind of listen to my body or, okay. or okay. so it's like, <laughs> I'm yeah. not, I'm not consistent in anything that I focus on, but I do hyper-focus on some things. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe some benefit, especially on the injury side to not being someone who's like, I got to hit exactly hundred miles this week or, you know, that, that exact number that could, that, that's good. I, I can, okay. I'm starting to, I mean, I don't understand you at all, but I'm starting to get there. You know, I'm starting to work on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're ever going to get there. I, I haven't quite gotten there. So don't worry about it. Um, okay. Kind of, to, kind of a like total derail or change of topic. But one thing I wanted to talk about too, was, uh, on the, I guess, nutrition side of thing, diet side of thing. I, I know you have talked about in the past being, uh, like being vegan growing up and being vegan for a while and then maybe switching 
switching diets. Where, where's your diet at currently under, you know, tra- training at a high level? Are you, I think, I think you maybe have said that you're like pescatarian at this point. I'm, I'm just kind of curious where, where that's at and, uh, your philosophy on nutrition overall. Well, here's the thing. I, I totally think being vegan, um, is the best diet for general being for the world, for, um, probably a normal person, but in my case, I'm just not good enough at, uh, like we, this goes back to detail oriented, um, about planning every one of my meals and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing everything I can to get everything I need. Um, I just am not, <laughs> I'm not good enough at doing that. And so I end up just getting injured. Um, so at the moment I have no dietary restrictions. Okay. Uh, I don't think I was injured because of my diet, but rather because of, uh, uh, lack of commitment to doing what was necessary to stay Mm -hmm. healthy. Okay. So yeah, I have no dietary restrictions at the moment. Got it. So do you think you will be then, you know, post running career, you'll, you'll be a a vegan again at some point. Is that, is that where you're going to land? Yeah. My girlfriend's vegan. Um, I support veganism. I think it's the right thing to do, but, uh, I'm not vegan. So Got it. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that because I switched from, I, I've kind of gone through a few different, I guess, phases, but in 2019 I switched and did, I was completely vegan for a while. And then I was vegetarian for a while. And I'd say right now I'm kind of on the pescatarian level, but very minimal like dairy and that sort of thing. And, um, I, you know, looking back at, you know, how I felt running, like running and just general, just how I, how I felt on a day-to-day basis. You know, I, I think, diet did play a bigger part into my just general wellness and how I felt, you know, previously versus now. And especially cause I would, I would classify myself as like a, a massive meat eater before I switched as well. Growing up with family who had, has farms, you know, raise livestock. I was definitely a meat for every meal kind of person. And then going from that to, to nothing, basically meat, uh, maybe salmon once a week. I I've definitely felt a difference in just my like sustained energy overall and kind of everything else. I, I don't know. I'm no nutritionist and I don't have a nutritionist working with me. So I'm sure I have some deficiencies here and there that, um, you know, I would, I would need to work on if I was trying to be like a top notch athlete. And so that's a completely different realm of just, you know, general well-being. But, uh, I'm always curious to kind of ask about that because there, there is the, there's absolutely the performance side of diet. And then there's just your, uh, general lifestyle diet. And so I, I've kind of experimented on myself too. And so I'm always curious to learn what others have tried and how they felt about, you know, trying different things throughout their life. And, and to your point of, uh, maybe you have some deficiencies. I don't think veganism would lead you to have some deficiencies. Um, I just Mm -hmm. think when I was uh, uh, traveling or if I just was like in a hurry, I just wouldn't be able to get something to eat because <laughs> I True. hadn't prepared enough. So yep. that would ult- that's ultimately what I think led to my injuries is I would have to go so many hours without eating sometimes because I just wouldn't be in, the, in a position that, that <laughs> I let myself get in that position, you know? Right. Right. Um, switching gears again, curious. So you're podcaster yourself, um, price of a mile podcast. And, and part of the reason I didn't dive into for any listeners out there, part of the reason I didn't dive into all of your past and your, uh, your running career kind of, you know, 
throughout your college and all that is you've touched on a lot of that. I've listened to a lot of your podcast episodes. Uh, you touch on a lot of that there, so I don't need to, you know, rehash everything that's already been said, but curious if that's going to post Olympics, make a comeback at all. Uh, if that's something, you know, kind of your overall thoughts on the podcast, that's something you enjoy doing. Is that going to make a comeback? Uh, well, I, I really like producing the episodes, but I never like to make somebody do something um, they don't want to do. And I've asked a couple, I want to get one of the Bauman women on there. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever get close enough, I usually only do a podcast with somebody after I'm really close with them so that it seems uh, fair to them. And then I know, uh, I know that what I'm asking is, is uh, where I want to go. I guess. Right, right. I have some leading questions in my podcast, uh, but uh, I don't, I really want to do Marielle cause we've been friends for a while, but she hasn't been interested in doing it. Okay. Um, I could see maybe doing Elise Cranny in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I'm spending more time with Elise and Carissa, um, and Courtney here at altitude. So like yeah. I said, I like to have just an idea of who the person is before I do it. Uh, I kind of, I did Alexa, Alexi Pappas once and yep. We weren't, uh, we weren't super close and that turned out all right. So I could see myself maybe expanding, but, uh, at the moment, no, the answer is no, I'm not okay. producing okay. it. Um, well, I mean, obviously I know you super well and this is turning out perfectly. So it's, yeah. it's you know, <laughs> right. have you, I, I know, exactly. I know Grant's uh, Grant's dived in the, delved into the, uh, podcast game here, these last few months as well. And it's been interesting to listen to those too, kind of hearing his inside perspective on how training's going week to week. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, the people would love to hear from you. So if there's any, uh, any possibility of you making a comeback, you know, I'm sure someone would appreciate it, but, but yeah, I absolutely understand. It's, it's certainly tough to, I, I spend a lot of time preparing for podcasts in general. You want you want to know enough about the person that you're going to have a, you're not going to ask them the same questions they've answered before, which requires research. And then you also want to know enough about them. You, you, you want to make I, I, my goal at least is to make people look as good as possible and try to, <laughs> we'll I mean, that's the we'll goal. See. It doesn't always happen, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, the, and, and that's part of like, you know, if anyone says anything that they don't want to, they don't want to come on the air. Like, I'm not trying to force people to do it, but, uh, you know, hopefully helping the athletes, uh, stories come out a little bit and get a little bit more support and backing from the fans. That's, that's kind of the goal of doing it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I don't know. I, as a fellow podcaster, I appreciate the the difficulty, the time that goes into it. And so would, would love to hear more stories, you know, if, and when you're ready to dive back into the podcast. Game. <laughs> Thank you. I do. <laughs> I do like to hear that. Uh, genuinely Grant's podcast is awesome. By the yeah. way, I've listened to yep. half step, half step, uh, three or four times in each podcast. He's always, he's always got some good insight. So I'll plug that one too. Agreed. Half yeah. Let's off. plug it. Awesome. So to, to close out here, want to have a little bit of fun. Uh, we've done this with a few other people kind of talking about, I actually, we did this, uh, most recently with Jake Riley, just talking about his looking back at his Stanford days and, uh, the team camaraderie team aspect of it. Um, so want to get your perspective on, you know, who's most likely to on the Bowerman team for a couple of these different scenarios here and, uh, have a little fun. So, First one here is who on the Bowerman team is most likely to take an easy run way too hard. It changes every single day, man. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Who's feeling to, good. And yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's just like, there definitely are some suspects. Okay. No <laughs> um, where there's, there's, there's Mark, me, 
uh, Chris Derrick and uh, Mo Ahmed. Mo, okay, so when I joined the team, Mo always in the back and never wanted to run hard. Uh, in 2019, Mo like went insane and decided <laughs> I'm going to run hard every day. So ever since then, Mo's a, Mo's a pr- uh, presser. You know, I should say everybody's a presser except for, I should say who isn't a presser. Which okay. Is Grant Fisher um, runs a control run. Uh, obviously, that matches his personality. Uh, Kieran, tune to vape. Yep. And um, I'm only naming the men, by the way. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else I trust. I trust no one else. <laughs> trust no one else to run a control pace. And that's funny because Grant on, on his podcast on the Half Set Pod had, had mentioned how basically he was just getting his ass kicked at altitude, you know, for because <laughs> he is still a young gun, you know, he, he's getting yeah. his butt kicked at altitude. So it makes sense that he wouldn't be pressing the pace when, you know, he's <laughs> he's, uh, you know, com- coming into working out with the best, some of the best dudes in the world. And uh, it's not easy. So you can't really press the pace on guys that are, you know, top notch in the world as an up and comer, um, which now I guess I wouldn't really call him an up and comer anymore. He's uh, he is one of those top notch guys, but no, uh, the guy a chance of meddling at the olympics and i know it's, it's i don't know what what i possibly could be <laughs> i know to go f- to go from him you know his his own self stories of just getting dropped on runs can't keep up at altitude to now it's like he's yeah one of the best in the world it's crazy absolutely crazy <laughs> yeah uh, it uh, is. next one here then most likely to skip making dinner and just order takeout or order food centro Definitely. <laughs> I wouldn't even say, <laughs> I wouldn't even say takeout. I would say you just go like Chick-fil-A most likely to get Chick-fil-A or something, something easier <laughs> than takeout. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's definitely eating well now. I should say since living with us, since joining Bowerman, I would say his diet has increased uh, tenfold. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. He, he used to be the guy that would always share on his Insta story or whatever, just like him at the gas station, picking up gummy worms or, you know, all these, all these random, just crap foods. So he doesn't uh, actually eat that sometimes, by the way. F- okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sure that some of that is for the, just cause it's yeah. hilarious, but it's funny. Yeah, you're just being funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about <laughs> mo- most likely to bail last minute on plans? Um, all of us are very flaky cause we're so tired. Yeah, um, I wouldn't yeah. trust a single person to actually come through on uh, event after run. I think we've made more plans on runs than anywhere else um, in our lives and not done them. So <laughs> uh, all of us are, are flaky in that sense. And I think one of the best things about knowing other runners is they understand the, the flakiness of I actually really need a nap right now. And yeah. anyone else in the world that sounds like you've got to be kidding me. Like... <laughs> Need a nap. <laughs> like, yeah, no, just I have some coffee. Let's go. I can't, stay awake. <laughs> yeah. I can't stay awake. I can't go get a drink. I can't. I'm too tired. Yeah. So I'm sure yep. you get that. I I do. I do. I've I've certainly never trained at the the level that you're training at, but uh training at a semi-elite level and then having to work, you know, eight to ten hour days. I I, I can totally understand flaking out on plans on basically every weekday. Uh, I've been yeah. there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, if if you don't if we don't flake out on you, it's a, it's a really, it's a testament to how much they really care because <laughs> I've, I've, I've called off a lot of updates, but yeah. <laughs> well, Here thank you for not calling off this date with me. Here I really is. appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome, man. That's what I was leading you on. <laughs> um, well. Okay. How about this? Most likely to sleep through their alarm. 
Um, we don't set alarms. I'm going to be honest. As a pro runner, unless you got to work out at uh, really early in the morning, I don't think any of us really set our alarm. Ex- maybe Centro sometimes. Uh, but uh, for the most part, we're, sec- we're like so in routine that we're not going to sleep through our alarms because we're just nice. going to be waking up at normal time or like same time. Yeah, letting your body decide. I like it. I like it. Uh, okay, a little bit more, a little bit more uh, fun here, mischievous maybe. Uh, most likely to wake up in jail, and we'll we'll say you know off season after the Olympics, everyone won a gold medal. Most likely to wake up in jail. Um, I, I'm definitely the one most likely to be canceled. I don't know if I'm most likely <laughs> to wake up in jail, um, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, wake up in jail. There's, there's some wild cards in there. I would actually say, um, Hmm. It's not Matt. It's not, you would think it's Matt Centrowitz cause he's got like this kind of bad boy look, but Matt is actually incredibly by the book and, uh, very much by the rules and not like would not do anything to get in trouble. Um, I think who, who's the person that would most likely do something dumb Probably Grant. <laughs> <laughs> the young gun. Grant. Okay. <laughs> yeah, probably Grant. Because Grant's, Grant's usually level-headed, but he's also got this pretty wild side to him that um, he just likes to have fun. So I could see yeah. him overstepping pretty pretty easily and uh, he'll drink. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him and I are probably going to drink and do something dumb. And I'll, I'll say something and get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it would go. <laughs> well, man, I hope you guys uh, get those gold medals. Uh, one of you in one event and the other in the other event so that we can see what happens after the <laughs> Olympics, see how crazy it gets. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't want a Ryan Lochte situation. I really don't. That's, yeah. Not, yeah. that's not what we need. No, we've got enough shit at Barman. Yeah. Gotta, gotta, I gotta keep it under the, uh, under the wraps a little bit. Keep the, keep the nightlife separate from the, any sort of cameras or anything like that. And you don't have a nightlife. (laughs) I know. I know. And that's what, and that, and that's what's so funny is like pro athletes are like the most dedicated. I mean, to get to that level, obviously to be top in the world, I, I don't need to tell you this, but it's clear that you have to be on your A game all the time. You can't be you can't be being an idiot like ever basically, except for in the off season. So whenever there is a story like that, where in a pro athlete was whatever they're out party and they were doing something, it's like they're the, compared to the average person who's out partying most weekends, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, exactly. it, it's not really a fair judgment, I guess. It's just that you guys are in a different spotlight because you are representing whatever representing the country or in the, uh, in the eyes of millions of people at the Olympics. So it, it is just a different, think, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is different. And um, I think it's, if you see an athlete say drinking or, or doing something dumb, who um, you see as someone is in peak performance, there's a little bit of a, a like, he's not doing everything he can to, to be where he is. And I do everything I can to be where they are. So I think uh, there are people that are mad about that and kind yeah. of rightfully so. Cause it, when you get to the Olympics, they, they definitely hold you to a higher standard that I'm, I'm pretty nervous about. I'm not going to lie, but yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably be fine. Well, we'll make sure you don't get canceled. Don't worry. We'll, I'm, we'll not keep so sure. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, okay. Last one of the most likely is here. Uh, who's most likely on the team to crush a beer mile. And then you can go both, both men and women if you want to. Uh, I'd say Lopez would probably. Be okay. The best. Lopez can just hammer a beer, um, and do whatever is necessary to do it. 
<laughs> uh, Lopez would definitely be on the men's side. The women's side, I would actually probably give that to Shelby. Um, okay. Uh, you know, she kind of got this wild side that can just kind of do it. <laughs> so people that can just run and do what they need to do, that's what I give it to. <laughs> so where, where do you put your ranks? Have you, have you ever done a beer mile? Do you, do you see yourself as a big talent in the, the, the race of the beer mile? Um, I think I probably would bite off more than I could chew. I would, <laughs> I, would I would say something, uh, ridiculous. Like I'll take two shots or something. And then like, you said you were going to take two. And I'm like, I was just kidding. <laughs> like, but then I would actually do it because I said I was going to do it. Right. And so no, I would probably, I'd probably shoot myself in the foot somehow. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I wanted to bring this up. We had a ton of, obviously a ton of listeners wanted to ask about it. I want to leave it at the end of the podcast. Cause this podcast is about you uh, in general, but you know, uh, on the Shelby situation, if you don't want to talk about it, totally fine. C completely cut this out, but no, just curious, you know what, if you, if there's anything that you want to say and put out there as far as the, the whole situation around, around Shelby, not being able to compete at the Olympic trials and, and for the next four years for that matter. Well, I mean, it's, it's really changed. I mean, this, these last three months has really changed my whole, um, idea of how doping and, uh, testing work in this whole, uh, thing. Like before, I mean, if I hadn't joined Bowerman, I would say, man, look at, uh, look at NOP. Like those guys are probably doing something sketch. Like these guys, there's something wrong. And now, now I look at Shelby who is a hundred percent innocent and, uh, Obviously, people have no idea what <laughs> what her case is at all, and have these uh, claims about her. Um, I now I, I don't even know what to. I don't have. They're going to come after me for this because they're going to test me all the time now because I, I I'm going to be vocal about it. But I, I don't know whose side. Um, I mean, what is Wada trying to uh, accomplish with um, busting a clean athlete? I, I think is, are they trying to scare dirty athletes? I, I don't understand what their goal is because they have to know um, that Shelby's innocent in my mind. Um, and so by doubling down on their verdict, it uh, is discouraging. It makes me immediately trust athletes more me personally, because I know the public is going to immediately trust athletes less, including myself. I have no doubt, but uh as someone who is able to see that this person is innocent and I believe that they believe she's innocent, it's, um, it's a bad situation. And, and either with the whole, I mean, you, all of USATF is, or, uh, is not really getting good press right now. They're getting press. Uh, I wish that all this stuff that is coming out and, USATF is not the focus. I wish it was just the Olympics was the focus. Um, maybe this, um, do you, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, maybe this, this clusterfuck that we're in, uh, will actually make people more sympathetic to, uh, Shelby's case. I think that they should be. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to all play out. <laughs> right. Well, it's sad. The whole thing is sad. I, I agree. Cause either way, I mean, it's, yeah, it's lose, lose either way. It's horrible. And, and yeah, one of my massive, I don't pet peeves is not a strong enough word, but one of my massive pet peeves is, you know, you go on whatever let's run or Instagram anywhere. And everyone is spouting off their opinion one way or the other, whether she's whatever innocent or guilty. And it's like, nobody is close enough to know anything about it. 
uh, to like think that they are the smartest person in the room and make these statements like one way or the other. And it, that just like makes me so mad. And we've, we've gotten so many people that like d- just being a pod, like not even a big pod, just a podcast and people DM us and saying, Oh, give us your opinion on burrito gate. And it's like, I, d- I'm not going to give an opinion. I'm not close enough to the case to have an opinion either way. Like I'm not going to just go out there and make claims and th- think that I'm smarter than everyone else and, and throw something out there. And, and, uh, you know, Shelby is a fellow Iowan. I grew up in Iowa as well. I watched her, we were in high school at the same time, watched her throughout high school. And she's always been insanely talented, fun to watch all throughout. And so overall, it's just sad regardless, regardless of the outcome, it's come, it's just completely devastating either way. The fact that this came about. Yeah. It's not good in any situation. No, absolutely um, not. Yeah. But I do think eventually Shelby will be able to run again. Um, okay. At least I have to believe that. Uh, if she's not, then it's a tragedy. It's like, yeah. that's nothing short of a tragedy. She, she's in her prime of career and, and all she, she just likes to run and compete. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I get comments on my, my Instagram of just like me doping and, uh, I, uh, yeah. And everybody is getting that. I, I understand everybody being suspicious of Bowerman now. Um, I've been so, fr- it's so frustrating to even mm-hmm. like deal with it, but it's, uh, I don't blame people for being suspicious. If you just hear, well, somebody on Bowerman tested positive. Right. I understand if you just knew that you would be like, all of Bowerman is dirty. None about me is dirty. It's just like yeah, yeah. But it, it, I, I think it's um, it's never going to go away. And I think we have to come to terms with that. That no matter even if she is vindicated, it's always going to be somebody's going to say that Bowman's dirty. Shelby cheated, and uh, the best thing we can do now is just like get Shelby to start running again. Because hopefully, in twenty years, they'll forget um, about this and be able to see that she could win a gold medal or something like that, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, man, I, I, now I feel bad saving this till the end. Cause it's kind of like a downer, <laughs> downer mood. It is to, a downer. To, it is a downer. Damn it. God it's damn it. And ending this podcast is <laughs> not the right note here. Um, <laughs> Okay. Well, what, what do we, what do we have to close this thing out? That's a little more, a little more positive for the people. Do, <laughs> do you know, have any, uh, I don't know, any, words of wisdom, any shout outs, any, anything that you want to, to plug here. I mean, obviously from the, from, from myself, from Adam, who's not here, our co-host, and then all of us at the, all of our fans as well. Uh, we get, so, I mean, we get more requests to have Bowerman track club people on the podcast, than anything else, you know, people love following you guys, uh, guys and, and, and women both, uh, get tons of requests and you guys are obviously crushing it across all events, all countries, uh, you know, different nationalities on the team. And so it's absolutely fun to watch. So I, I'll say that from my positive perspective is that there's <laughs> tons and tons of people for all these stupid comments that you get on Instagram, uh, just because of this Shelby case, there's tons and tons of people out there rooting for you and for everyone else on the team, including myself. So, you know, we're super excited to watch you guys at the Olympics. So that's my positive note to end on anything that you want to any plug and shout out, shout out for the world right now. Um, I feel like I've already said too much, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm perhaps in a situation where I shouldn't speak on the Shelby case, but it's already out there. So um, just know, thank you. I, we appreciate it when, when you guys support us. Of course, of course. I mean, we're, we're excited to see you at the Olympics. We're just a few weeks away. <laughs> I hope the rest of the training 
continues to go well. The the little bit of remainder here that you have at altitude goes well. Um, for I, I guess at the training camp now are. Are the Bowerman folks that did not make the Olympic team, are they on a rest period right now? Are they back at altitude training with y'all and they're going to race more? How, how is the training situation looking like? Um, I mean, yeah, we, we, I think uh, maybe the central might race, but every, everyone else is pretty much just going to be locked in. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're just all set on that 10K for Perfect. the most part. Yeah. Perfect. Girls in the five. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Woody, for coming on. Really appreciate the time. Appreciate us making the cut on the selective media uh, outreach. Real, seriously, sincere appreciation for all of that and uh, rooting for you big time at the Olympics in both events and in Grant as well and everyone else on Bowerman that, that made, the t- made the cut. So it's going to be an exciting race to watch. Yeah, it will be. Um, thank you, man. I hope this rivals Jenkins. And, and uh, I wish we would have had Grant here so we could go against Jenkins and Craig and the Beer Mile. Oh man, I think if you guys are down to set this up at some point, I would love to even just underground, you know, to get a little fun little beer mile action going and, you know, maybe uh, post Olympics here, if you are down and, you know, anyone else, if you guys want to do an in-person podcast and maybe have a couple of beers and uh, have a follow-up episode to this, we would absolutely be down to, to come to wherever you guys are and make that happen. That'd be a blast. Sounds good to me. I'm down. Sounds good. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, Woody. Cheers. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Shout out to Woody Kincaid for coming on. Sounds like we're actually going to do a follow-up with him after the Olympics. The goal is to do that in person. We'd love to sit down with Woody, have some beers after he wins that Olympic gold medal or some Olympic medal. You know, I don't want to put any pressure on the situation here, but hope you enjoyed the conversation with Woody. Check out his podcast, Price of a Mile, if you want to learn more about his college days, his early Bowerman days. That's a great podcast to listen to as well. Make sure you're also using our code BEERMILE, all uppercase, no spaces for 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. Make sure you take care of your balls. It's an important thing to do. Educate yourself about testicular cancer. Manscaped also, it's a charitable cause. They donate profits to education around testicular cancer. So make sure you're using our code MANSCAPED. You're supporting the podcast. You're supporting your nuts. It's a great investment for everyone involved. That was a really weird thing to say. <laughs> so lastly here, going to give you the 30-second rundown on the Ruthie, the Exile Brewing Company Ruthie Gold Lager. And then we're also going to get some guest guest uh, ratings as well. So I'm going to give it an 8 on taste, an 8 on drinkability, and a 10 on X-Factor because look at this can. She is pouring two beers onto two pint glasses on her bosom. Uh, graphic designer, definitely making a couple hundred K a year plus stock options. Good for him. Uh, if you're on Robin hood, I would suggest investing in the IPO for exile brewing company, uh, boys, boys in the background. We got some boys, uh, here in Colorado with me today. What do we think of the Ruthie gold lager? Let's give me some takes here. Oh, do we, do we have any words or do we just want to point our fingers in the air? Two thumbs up. I'm going to go at 10 every time I'm at exile and like, I'm eating dinner, I get a Ruthie. They have some good food too. Oh, he also said they have some good food. And if you recognize that voice, that is George from the Tin Mama Eat episode. George is back. All right. Uh, what do we have from Bill? Hey, this is Bill here. Longtime listener, first time uh, call caller in. Uh, proud to be here. Really want to say I support the work you guys do. It's just so great. Um, as far as the Exile Ruthie, now I was just saying, except it's an easy drinker. Nothing better than that. You just feel good drinking that, and then you take a look at the can, and it's like, oof. 
Let's go. Yeah. Let's have another. Thank you, sir. Can I have another? That is the <laughs> that is the best review that I've ever heard on this podcast. Way better than Adam and I could do. Full supporter. Anyone else? Uh, do would you like to make a reappearance? Um, sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. <laughs> For the very early listeners, episode 10, the holiday special, we have fellow t-shirt run world record holder, uh, J-Rob, J-Rob here in the house. Uh, give me a rating on drinkability and eatability on the hot dog and the Miller High Life, please. So I shaved half of like the burnt crisp off. That side's pretty good. Um, but I like the crunch. So hats off to the grill master, Will. Um, I'd give it a two out of ten. <laughs> a two out of ten on the eatability. Okay, how about the drinkability on that Miller High Life? Oh, this is just the champagne of beers. It's a <laughs> nine out of ten easily. Okay, so there we have it. Do we have anyone else in the audience who would like to give a rating? Last call. One, two, three. Last call. Nico, anything? Oh, it's empty. It's a great it's beer. Empty. That's all he has to say. It's empty. I'd say it, it's, it's a great beer. My first from Iowa. Besides Bush. And uh, it's not from Iowa. Nicole, <laughs> it's basically from Iowa. Yeah, Bush mean, is an Iowa beer. I mean, basically, if you have anything that's you know at least a corn cob, you're, you're looking at an eight out of ten. And you know, with the graphic design, you got to go at least a nine two. Drinkability is a uh, hundred out of ten because he drank the whole thing in like two seconds. Okay, <laughs> thanks to this first ever studio live audience. I think that'll do it on this episode. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And you're welcome. Thanks to our five live listeners. It's probably more than we're going to get on the uh, audio recording. Hey, hey, all right. Cheers, y'all.